Awesome. Yeah. God's good no matter what's going on, I can tell you that. God's good no matter what your storm might look like. And, uh, and God's done some really cool things. We're going to take up the offering real quick if our ushers would go ahead and come at this time. And uh, so if you've got your offering, you want to go ahead and give your tithes an offering. If you couldn't do it Sunday, you want to do it today, you can go ahead and do that. Um, no special offerings tonight, just everything will be tithing offering. And uh, so yeah, so prepare to give at this time, then we're going to pray over the offering uh, while you're getting ready for that, and then we'll go right into the Bible study. Uh, God, we thank you for uh, this church and these people. God, we thank you for your faithfulness, your spirit, your presence. God, we thank you for the word of God that gives us uh, clarity on things that can seem uh, strange or not make sense. And we thank you, God, for everything that Jesus Christ has accomplished. So, God, I pray that you just take this offering and this message tonight. God, you'd use it for your glory, not my own. And that, God, you'd get all the glory for it. And uh, so we humble ourselves. The Bible says that you exalt the humble and you humble the proud. And so any arrogance in me or anyone here, God, we just, we just lay it at your feet right now. And we just pray for a spirit of humility and a spirit of gentleness to flow in this place. And, uh, and that above all, you would get the glory for tonight in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, we're going to pass the offering bags at this time. Uh, we're going to, we're kind of resuming our angels and demons, uh, series, and we're going to be talking about a topic that not many people talk about, but it's prevalent in the scriptures. Um, and it's called this group of celestial beings called the divine council. Okay. And so a lot of these topics in dealing with the spiritual realm is you have earthly authors writing about an ethereal realm that they can't see. So there's a lot of symbolism with planets and stars and, and different things like that because these are the way they could see things and then they could bring it home and to make it make sense to their readers. And so, um, so you're going to have a lot of symbolism here and it's a lot of patchwork. Um, there's patchwork from Genesis and in different places all throughout the scripture. There's an odd passage in Isaiah chapter 14 that talks of uh, that, that talks of Satan and then a passage in Ezekiel that talks of Satan and so so we're really kind of patchworking a lot of scriptures together in order to get an understanding of of the spiritual realm uh, so most of the time when we start with the Bible we think okay there's God and angels and then Satan and his demons right the Bible is a lot more nuanced than that it has a lot of characters that are um, playing different roles throughout the scripture when it comes to the spiritual realm. And so um, we're going to look at some of these and try to get a picture here of this, what's called a divine council, of these group of celestial beings that God created to help him make decisions in the earth. Isn't that odd? that the God that knows everything would ask other beings and get their input on how to govern the universe. Isn't that weird? It's really weird. But it tells us something about the nature of God. The nature of God is He shares His authority and rule with lesser beings all the time. 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. So he's willing to invest in an insurmountable amount of potential within folks, even though he knows that they might use it for the wrong way. And allows them to use their influence in a wrong way. That I tell you, Jesus Christ is the potential for every Christian. Is that okay? And let me tell you, Adolf Hitler is the potential for every human being. Not the exception, the potential. That's what the Bible says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Why? Because you could use your influence for great good and do miraculous things for the kingdom of God, or you can use the same giftings and anointings and use them to do major destruction and evil in the universe. And God is intent to entrust you with it and to step back and say, what will you do? Because power always reveals. You want to see where somebody's at? Give them some power. Give them some power. Give them some influence. It's the great revealer. It's the great revealer. It's why God looks down and sees Adam and Eve and He forms them from the dust. Dirt. And He breathes life into Adam. And then says, Adam, you rule this physical realm. Celestial beings, y'all rule the heavenly realm. But these down here have dominion down here. And the heavenly beings would be so exalted and so offended by the fact that God would give this dirt man authority in the earth that Satan would come down and tempt and try to usurp the authority that Adam had and take it from him. That power plays are the great revealers of our character. That God says, this is where I'm going to put my glory. Satan says, that's a dirt man. I'm so beautiful. Why am I not getting all the power? It says, because I've chose to put it here. Why? Because I'm attracted to humility. I'm not attracted to what you call beautiful. That's why the Bible says beauty's in the eye of the beholder. That's why we can't be ruled by opinions of what we think's most beautiful. Because what you think's most beautiful might not be what's most beautiful in God's eyes. We have to be ruled by the Spirit of God. So this is God. God loves to share authority. He loves to give it. Romans 13. All authority has been given by God. Not one bit of authority that is handed out into the universe and in the cosmos has not been given by God. They'll say, well, why doesn't God just come down and deal with everything? I don't know. It's not His nature. He shares authority. He shares responsibility. He calls us to do it. God would get more glory from me stepping into an anointing and doing something 
that's supernatural than he would coming down and doing it himself. Because if he did it himself, they'd just say, well, that's God. But when you or me do it, it's, whoa, that's got to be God. <laughs> See, God gets more glory by the lesser reality doing the thing than he does the greater reality doing the thing. All right, we better get in the Bible here because I'm just rambling on here like crazy. Whatever. All right, so here's these biblical authors saw that there was this heaven and earth and two paralleled realities, each inhabited by creatures and dele delegated uh, responsibility. So Genesis 1 uh, says this, that in the heavens, uh, the celestial lights are appointed to rule the day and to rule the night. Genesis 1 chapter, yeah. And God said, let, the, let, the, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vaults of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, right? So this is symbolism here. The greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. See, that govern or rule, it'll say in some translations. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So here we're talking about physical stars, but we're also talking about celestial beings, beings that would rule the day and the night and help God to rule, uh, to rule the universe. Now, it goes on to tell us about man in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 30. It says, then God said, let us make man in our own image. Notice that, let us, right? Plural, let us make man in our image, in our own likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, birds in the sky and over the livestock and the wild animals and all over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God has set an order. He has these beings that are ruling the heavenlies and these beings that are ruling the earth. And he's doing it in a plurality. He's saying, let us create. Right? So God is creating in a plurality. He's asking for advice. He's He's, he's not just doing this all on his own. He's, he's a team player. God is a team player. You believe that? Yeah. And that's why he reveals himself in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And, and, and so, so God has got this kind of team dynamic. Now look at this Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with, it, with seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. So God has set forth the universe here, celestial beings, earthly beings. You guys rule the spiritual realm and help me govern that reality. Man, through relationship with me, you're going to rule the earthly reality, the physical reality. So here is this kind of picture here of God sharing his role with man and sharing his role with the celestial beings or this group called the divine council. 
Now, Psalm 89, verses 5 through 7, gives us, gives us a picture here uh, of this. I think, yeah, we got it, cool. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too. Look at this. In the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? Get that? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings in the council of the holy ones? God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. So now we're seeing a difference here. Is there's this divine council, but then there's this one exalted God within this divine council. So we're, we're seeing this verbiage, the council of holy ones. Now we'll also see things like this in the Bible called the sons of God. Okay, Psalm 29, 1 through uh, 1 and 2 says this, that ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. So here's a group that's surrounding God in the heavenly realm, these sons of God, that are to give to the Lord, or Yahweh, praise. Now watch this in Job. This is one you'll remember, okay? These are kind of random psalm deals. But do you remember Job? On the day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, this is like God's staff meeting here, okay? On the day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Hasatan, deceiver, and Satan also came with them. Isn't that odd? So there's a council of angels presenting themselves before God, saying, what are we going to do today? And Satan pops into the staff meeting. Hmm, interesting. And the Lord says, where have you come from? And the Hasatan, or Satan, has answered the Lord from roaming the earth going back and forth on it. So we're seeing this reality of these angelic beings having encounters with people on earth coming back before God and having input before God on what is going to happen on the earth and what they're allowed to do. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. Uh, let's see here. Okay, this, is, this one gets kind of really weird, okay? First um, Kings chapter 22, verse 19 through 22, and this is kind of an odd story in Kings. But you, you might remember it. Jehoshaphat and Ahab kind of joined together for this weird time, and they're planning to come together and go to war against, I think it's the Syrians. And so... Uh, Jehoshaphat is kind of this godly king from Judah, and Ahab is the wicked, one of the most wickedest kings that lived uh, in Israel. So uh, Jehoshaphat says, hey, before we go into war, let's ask the prophets of the Lord what we should do. And so Ahaz calls up 400 prophets of the Lord, and they start prophesying. And they say, go and take the, the land. God's going to give it to you. And, and Jehoshaphat must know us that there's something hollow about all these prophecies. So Jehoshaphat looks at Ahab and says, isn't there something, isn't there someone here that still hears the voice of God? 
And he's like, yeah, there's one, but I got him in prison. It's Micaiah. And he never says anything that I like him to say. Well, how about you get the prison God guy out, and let's just hear what he says. That's just humor. Humor, humor. And so Micaiah comes out and says the very thing, like, yeah, it's going to go really bad for you. But now watch what's happening in the heavenly realm. Check this out. I think you got it. Yeah, yeah, cool. So Micaiah continued, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, right? With all the multitudes of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, the Lord's staff meeting here, you ready? The Lord said, who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? So God wants to judge Ahab because he's, he's killed a bunch of innocent people. He's leading the people down. And he's like, how are we going to bring about the judgment of Ahab? And look what happens here. He says, who will entice him to go into this battle? One suggested this and another that. So here's these angels. Hey, God, I got an idea. Well, let's hear it. Well, I think we ought to do this. Mm, no, who's it? I got one. Oh, what's your? Mm, no, that's kind of ringing a little bit. I don't like how that's going to go down either. Now watch what happens. Next verse. Finally, a spirit came forward before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. So how did the 400 all say the th same thing? They were being led by a spirit other than the spirit of God. Be careful when you're claiming to be led by the spirit of God and saying you have the word of the Lord. Because you could be enticed by a spirit that came from the throne of God, but is not from God himself. And it would be a judgment unto himself. This is where I would tell the TV prosperity preachers, be careful saying what God is telling you to say. Be careful. Does God want us to prosper? Absolutely, he wants us to prosper. But not at the expense of his sheep. We don't share sheep. Is this okay? Okay. I don't even know what I'm doing now. Oh, yeah. So, here. I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. He said, you will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. This is weird. Do you feel weird about God letting someone go and deceive someone? I mean, this is, this is strange. But this is how God gets things done on the earth. It's how God brings judgment on the earth. There's times. Have you ever seen two people have an opinion of God and it be so diametrically composed or opposed to each other? Or one think this is God's will and the other to think this is God's will? How can two realities that are so opposite seem to be so sure? I can tell you, somebody's got the word of the Lord and somebody doesn't. 
beware lest we think we have it. That's why we always follow humbly when we're claiming to hear the voice of God. Humility has to be the mark. Let this mind that's in Christ be in ye also. That he considered himself not equal with God even though he was God's son and went to the death, even death on the cross. So God says, you want to see what my word looks like? It's sacrificial and it goes to the cross. Now, Psalms 82 verse 1. This one kind of just comes right out with it. Um, I think we got it. Psalm 82 verse 1. If not, I got it in my notes. I guess that's a no. Yeah, sweet. God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. Little g, how long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? They're asking God how long is he going to allow this thing to go on as he's bearing patiently with those who need to be judged. So, y'all probably heard nobody ever talk about this stuff, probably. Have you never heard that? Yeah. It's, it's a weird thing. It's, it's, it's plain as day, but it's yet nobody talks about it. So there's this kind of divine counsel that's going on. All right, let me, let me give you this one. Isaiah chapter 6. This is a familiar verse with us. Isaiah chapter 6, uh, verse 1. And uh, I think we got it. I'll read it, just in case we don't. Oh, he's got it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, <coughs> and two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the sound of their voices uh, the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now get this. And then I heard the verse, voice of the Lord saying, we just get down to eight. Then I heard the verse of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Whom shall I send? And then who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. So we have a singular, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Isn't it funny that when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, saying, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, and then it says angels came and ministered to him? How many times do angels minister to us, I wonder? That God looks down and says, hey, you here, go down and touch my servant there who's going through this thing. They need, a, they need a touch from me. And he sends an angel. Or maybe there's an accident going to happen and God says, all right, guys, who's going to uh, cover Tim here? Because Tim is about to be in an accident and we're going to need to send some protection. That God is governing the universe this way. That's why Jesus said he knows when a sparrow goes to the ground. If God knows when a sparrow goes to the ground, 
how much more one of his children made in his image goes to the ground. He sees and, and he knows. So there's this divine counsel. And so Satan and his rebellion happens. And we learn about when he tempts Eve into taking a bite, then Adam, right? And then we have several other heavenly rebellions that take place, okay? Uh, uh, several of them. Um, Genesis chapter 6, and I don't have the scripture, but you can look at it. It says that it uses the term sons of God. And it says, the sons of God saw the daughter of men were attractive. And it says that the sons of God went into the daughters of men. Doesn't that seem really odd? But here's what those angels were trying to do. They felt like they could rule better than God. So they leave their heavenly estate, go into humanity, into women, and try to give them eternal life separate from the way God wanted to give eternal life through His Son, Jesus. So they create this race of giants that begin to rule the earth with power and might and share with them divine secrets on how they can conquer and war and teach them how to make war machines and teach them how to make weapons. That's why the Bible says that it was in this day to where they learned how to make metal and hammer out weapons uh, there with Lamech and, and those kind of things. It's then when we see uh, all these things begin to unfold that men would use their ingenuity for evil and not for good. That's why the Bible goes on in the prophetic literature and says you're going to beat your swords into plowshares and to beat them into pruning hooks. Because God's saying a day is coming when there'll be no more wars and you're going to have to use your weapons for metal because the fruit is going to be so pervasive and the world's going to be so great. You're going to need more farming instruments than you have weapons because of the great good that God's going to do. So God is undoing all these things. He's undoing the sin of men. He's, do, he's undoing the way that they were trying to tell humans how to do. Uh, another one that you guys will remember will be in Genesis 11. The divine council uh, members rebel and they lure the empire of Babylon into this rebellion. Remember the Tower of Babel? So in Genesis 10, you have a seven nation, uh, a 70 nation list of, of people and nations. And what 10 is doing is telling you what happened after 11 with the Tower of Babel. So what the Tower of Babel was, was human rebels and heavenly rebels combined and said, we can build this temple, this ziggurat, this temple that will imitate God's holy mountain that he had with Adam and Eve in the covenant he tried to establish with them. We can use our knowledge and we can build this temple together and we'll give you our wisdom as heavenly beings and you, we can use your flesh to work out our will as the rebellion against God and we can come together and we can build a tower that can touch into heaven. See, that's what the Garden of Eden was. It was a place where heaven and earth intersected. A place where God could go and man could walk. So they begin to imitate this high mountain. And as they're imitating this high mountain, God says what? We better go down and confuse their languages 
Because they're so unified, nothing would be impossible for them. This is weird. It's weird. So God confuses their language, and when he confuses their language, they all come together and form those who can understand each other, and each chooses their own God that they will worship, and they center their own civilization based on their God and their language. But then something unique happens in Genesis chapter 12. God says, I've got to have a nation that will bear my name. And he finds one single man named Abraham. So here's these other nations already established. And God says, all I need is one man submitted to me. And I'll build a nation with so many descendants that it'll be the most powerful nation in the universe. So here we go. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons. <sighs> We're thousands of years removed. And that might be the clearest pre presentation of the gospel there is. That God chooses one man thousands of years ago. And here we are in Hot Springs, Arkansas, thousands of years later, still exalting this God and saying, Father Abraham had many sons. Behold the wisdom of God. Behold the power of the obedience of one person that will just walk with God. So God builds a nation that would bear his name to overshadow the other nations and their false gods from the divine rebellion. Uh, let's look at this real quick. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 through 9. And this is the kind of the retelling. Uh, now the whole world had one language and common speech, and the people moved eastward and found a plain in Shinar, that's Babylon, and settled there. And they said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar instead of mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves other than... Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. Then the Lord said, as if one people speaking at this, uh, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Wow. Come, let us go down, confuse their language. Let us, you see that? Come, let us go down, confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it's called Babel. Because the Lord confused the language of the whole world, from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. In the book of Revelation, or in any time, it always, the picture of the, the purest evil is always Babylon. Right? that Babylon is a picture of the demonic realm and the human realm working together to create civilization separate from God that they might get all the honor and God get none. But God always one-ups, okay? 
So Babel, or they couldn't understand each other and their languages becomes what splits the nations apart, right? Then what does God use to bring the nations together under the gospel and ministry of Jesus? When the Holy Spirit comes, they speak in other So what God used to separate, he uses to bring together. This one wouldn't stop or halt with wickedness. This one would promote godliness and accomplish the mission of God. So this is what God's doing uh, all the time in the earth. But, but it's just kind of a weird way about it. Um, let's see here. Just kind of tons of stuff here. Too much. Too much, too much. Okay, so Jesus comes onto the scene, and remember, uh, when Jesus is baptized, and then the Spirit comes on him, he goes into wilderness testings, and you remember what uh, the temptation was for him. Use his miraculous to, for his own needs. Uh, use, uh, and then the Bible says that, it, that the, the tempter took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says to him, I will give you all these things if you just fall down and worship me. And then Jesus says to him, go away, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the Bible says, then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and began to serve him. So Jesus then becomes the representative of humanity, the representative of man. And he begins to walk out in the wilderness testing what Adam was unable to walk out. And so as Adam failed in the garden with the testing, Jesus passes the test in the garden with the testing. Because when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, he says, not my will, but thy will be done. So this is a picture of Adam in the garden, once again, choosing to do the right thing, not to do the wrong thing. And so how's God going to reverse this and deal with the spiritual rebels? And the earthly rebels, well, this is how he's going to do it. Jesus' death is orchestrated by human rebels and by spiritual rebels. So when Jesus comes onto the scene, the demonic realm descends and begins to influence government and religion to kill Jesus. And they accomplish it. But you know what else they accomplished? The salvation of the world and their own defeat and demise. That God doesn't even have to lift a finger to win. He's just got to be God. And them being them, kill Him, which in turn becomes a sacrifice for our sins and then takes the weapon out of the hand of the demonic realm that is to play on your sinful nature and influence you. So God has two weapons to help you with sin. Number one, justification. When you ask Christ to come into your life, it's just as if you've never sinned. And then he gives you another thing called being born again or regeneration. He takes away the old nature and puts a new nature in. So he deals with the guilt, so you don't have to deal with the guilt of your sin. And then he gives you a new nature that if you'll feed it, you'll begin to overcome sin and walk in the glory of God. And Jesus accomplished this by revealing what the demonic realm and the human heart really had in it. And that is, we will kill God and get rid of him. 
But God made it through their wickedness that we can now never get rid of Jesus. That's what makes the resurrection so awesome. Is we try to kill God and he's like, bloop. <laughs> Still here. Our attempts to get rid of God makes it to where we can't get rid of him. And now we don't want to get rid of him. You see what I'm saying? So now he's partnering with people to accomplish the same mission through the good news of the gospel. First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, 6 through 8. And this, this kind of gives insight to what I'm saying here scripturally. Uh, but it says this. You might have to look a while, Kevin, because I missed a lot of scriptures to get to there. Maybe, oh, there it is. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. See that? No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Okay, wow, that's cool. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Amen. That God says love, humility, innocence, and purity will always overcome religious structures, governmental structures, and evilness, power, conquering. The ethic of love overcomes all that. And so now the principalities and powers are disarmed and they can't touch you. Have you ever noticed that? That's why Satan always reminds you of your past. Because he, he doesn't know your future. All he can operate in is something that you've previously done. And God calls you to be at one with him. And the Bible says that one day you'll look like him. How do you know the voice of God? What's calling you forward into your destiny? How do you know the voice of Satan? What's reminding you of what you've always done? One's from behind you, and one's calling you to a new place in which you don't know. What's the call to Abraham? Abraham, come to a place that you know not of. That's got to be the voice of God. <laughs> What does Satan say? Hey, come back here to Egypt where it's comfortable. Remember you had those melons and fish and leeks? God's always calling us forward. So this is Jesus' great victory. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, put on the whole armor of God. That's why he says is our battles aren't flesh and blood. Somebody does you wrong, it's not them. It's the demonic influence that's influencing them. And this is how the demonic realm works, is they exacerbate things. They hurt someone here, and then stir up the one that caused the hurt, and then come to the one that is hurt and tell them this, and they're just always multiplying wounds and injury. Until so many walls are built up that you can't tell them anything. 
is that the demonic realm, this is how it works, is it hardens hearts. It hardens hearts. This is what the demonic realm does, and that's why Paul says, man, you've got to put on this whole armor of God. It doesn't say put on your flip-flops and your tie-dye t-shirt and lay in the daisies. That's what Christianity's become, a, a hippie love cult. God's saying, man, this is a war. And you better put on all this stuff because this battle isn't flesh and blood. Here's the blessing of the battle not being flesh and blood. You can now love your enemy. Why? Because it wasn't them that hurt you. They're made in the image of God, created for the destiny of God. They didn't hurt you. They'd allowed a demonic influence to come in and begin to influence them. That's why Jesus can be on a cross and say, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. What? They know exactly what they're doing. Well, not exactly. For if they did, they wouldn't have done it. <laughs> Scripture, right? <laughs> They'd have known it was going to accomplish the salvation of the world, they wouldn't have killed him. And the demons are so stupid, they don't know that about you either. That's why they harass you. And what they don't understand is you have an opportunity to be refined and to be changed and to be formed into the image of God through the demonic attacks, you have the opportunity to preach the gospel in a way that says, you're not going to be able to move me and shake me as I'm going to walk with God and I'm going to be obedient to God. In the demonic realm, you're not going to change the testimony that's over my life. But no matter what comes my way, I'm going to humble myself. And do the right thing. Yeah. I'm going to humble myself and do the right thing. That's why it says uh, the Great Commission, right? Go into all the world and make disciples. And I think the next line is, for all authority in heaven and on earth has been handed over to me. That the one that's commissioning you to make disciples has said, all authority has been given to me, and as you go out as my ambassador, that authority I give to you. What does the devil want to do? Convince you you've got no authority and use fear and intimidation to keep you from doing what God's telling you to do. That's what he wants you to do. So now, here we are, and I'm closing. Seeing those eye rolls out there and those watch looks. <laughs> Brian, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, uh... <laughs> is it time? I don't have my watch. I don't know what. Oh, oh, hey, I'm two minutes till. Come on now. Give me a break. Give me a break. I'm trying my hardest, and I'm battling this cold. Give me a break, okay? Take it easy on me. What was I saying? I lost it. Oh, so here we are with the Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead in you. How's it going to come out into the earth and be supernatural and give God glory? Whose voice are you going to listen to? And would you be foolish enough to say, 
yeah, the Spirit of Christ is in me. Then nothing's impossible. <laughs> right? So that when I'm on my job, I can lay hands on the sick. But if the Spirit of Christ is in me, then I can witness to my neighbor. But I just want to tell you, if you've got allergies, don't try to mow your neighbor's yard, okay? And, and don't get Josh to try to fix your mower either. Or you just be, your deck will be all messed up. And... It's terrible. I got a, there's an elderly man I live next to, and I, I see him out there. He has to mow his yard in sections. And uh, so I said, man, you know what? I got a rider. He's out there push mowing it, heat index or whatever. I said, Jerry, I said, I'll mow your yard for you. And so I've been mowing his yard, um, but I'm an allergy guy, you know, so it's, I, you never know when I'll get a sinus infection. It's just kind of weird. I wear a mask and everything, so, but, uh, so I'm mowing his yard and uh, trying to help him out during the summer, and his wife stopped me the other day and said, you're not going to believe this. Uh, you know, he is so thankful and almost embarrassed that you have to do that for him, but he said, you know what I told him? I said, Jerry... Do you remember throughout the years that you mowed everybody else's yard? And I said, now somebody's taking care of you. And it just got just dropped on my heart. I didn't know anything about that. What is that showing? The supernatural love of Christ. And cut grass. So the demonic realm looks down and goes, dang it. Fresh cut grass. Somebody doing something for God. It don't have to be super spiritual. It's just got to be resurrected Christ. And if it's done in the spirit of resurrected Christ, that's God honoring and not man honoring. That says, look at me. But that says, look at God. Look at God. God gets glory from that. He gets great glory from that. So practically, today, when you leave, and for the rest of your life, wake yourself up and put on the armor of God and say, the resurrected Christ is in me. How can I show the world today that the demonic powers have been defeated and I don't have to live a selfish life? One last thing. Ephesians chapter 3. This ain't going to be in there, Kevin. This is just in my mind right now. And this is a presentation of the gospel I want you to think of. Because the gospel that we preach, remember, isn't just, our battle isn't flesh and blood, right? It's to the demonic powers. It's to the, and so they're watching us all the time. They know what buttons to push on you. And so... Whenever you give in to things, they take note of it. Because if they can't steal your salvation, they want to ruin your testimony because your testimony is the glory of Christ. Right? 
And so this is what this is what they want to do. Okay, I'm going to be looking at the NIV. You know, some of you might say the nearly inspired version, but it's just easy to read for me. Okay. Uh, Ephesians chapter three verse ten. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. That through the church, we tell the demonic powers and display to them the wisdom of God. That's why Paul says, who is sufficient for these things? (laughs) And we've been bored with Christianity because our calling is too low. We thought we'd just try not to sin as much as we can and just be a good person. And God's saying, no, show the demonic powers the manifold wisdom of God. The life of Jesus lived through you that would walk out and and be a declaration to the demonic realm that Jesus rose from the dead. That the greatest evidence that Jesus rose from the dead is not going back historically and finding some rock and a a tomb kicked over. That the evidence is, is that it's in me and you doing the things of Jesus on the earth. That God would have us and bring us into encounter that we would walk out the life of Jesus. Why did Jesus die in the prime of his life at 30 years old? So he could walk the rest of his life out in you. Here's my spirit. Dies as a 30-year-old man and then ascends into heaven and sends his spirit, his essence, his person, and to live in you. Why? So that the testimony of Jesus gets walked out through you. So walk it out. Walk it out. Walk it out. If the life of Christ is in us, then it ought to be able to get out. (laughs) And how it comes out is different for all of us. And where we get in trouble is we say, it only comes out like this. It only comes out like this. It only comes out like this. No. God's got many gifts and many giftings all in this room. And so you need to go on the journey through relationship with God and say, how does it come out through me? And then don't try to presuppose on someone else how yours ought to, how theirs ought to come out because yours is like this or that. Is that we're all unique in our own way. And so Jesus has toppled the spiritual rebels and he's toppled the earthly rebels and he's given us all authority and power that he has. He gave it to us and tells us to make disciples. Make disciples. Make Jesus followers. Not make people say a prayer after you, but make people that imitate the life of Jesus in the earth. Disciples. 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 Life on life. Disciples. Disciples. 
Discipline people about the Father's business. Disciples. Yeah. So this is what God wants us to do. That's why Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And if we say that, or somebody else says that, we would think they were being prideful. Like if I said, follow me as I follow Christ, part of you would say, who do you think you are? Following you, I ain't following you. Independent, rebellious spirit that can't submit to God in someone. Same if you've got something to say to me and it's from God, if I can't submit to it, I've just surrendered my discipleship. Because Paul says it's predicated on you following other people as they're following Christ. And it doesn't come in a quiet time with you and your Bible. It comes with mothers and fathers in the faith that disciple and discipline you and you're not prideful so much that you won't listen to their advice and, sur- and submit to their authority. You don't think it was hard to see a 30-something-year-old homeless guy with no rabbinical education saying that he was the Son of God? Put yourself there. Say, man, what? This guy's from Nazareth? And he's a construction worker? And all his guys are like fishermen and IRS and terrorists? You don't think that was hard? You don't think that was a head scratcher? And he's saying he's God's son? That took a supernatural act for those people to say, where else can I go? And I'll tell you, our growth is just as supernatural. Just as supernatural. Because it comes from such unlikely places that we usually miss it. Thank God you can't come like that. You can't be a bloody 30-year-old hanging on a cross. That's a curse. No way you can be like that. But that's exactly where he was. And he so redeems the Roman death implement that it becomes a necklace that we wear around our neck can you imagine people walk around wearing gold hangman's nooses make you shudder electric uh, a gold electric chair you'd say ah But God so redeems the cross that it becomes beautiful. (laughs) If we're willing to look where he's at and drop our preconceived notions that we know it all, we'll start to see him. We'll start to see him everywhere. I'm starting to see God in everything. Why? 
Because there's no place that's off limits for God. There's no place that's off limits. All right, I'm rambling. Let's pray. God, we just thank you, Lord. We pray.